Yeah, so I got a job, so I have to have a schedule. It's crazy. Jobs are the worst. I, I mean, right now, I think jobs are the best because I'm still in like the honeymoon period of overall. this job. <laughs> overall, overall, the fact that I'm going to have to structure things around it, no thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have already figured out that... A, we get our we get our birthdays off as a holiday. All right. B, we can take Indigenous Peoples Day off as a holiday. Okay. C, therefore, I get to take a four day weekend at some point. All right. <laughs> I'm very excited for this. Anyway, uh, what's this podcast even called? Uh, this podcast. Wow, it's been a while since we've done this. Uh, as far as yeah, I know, it's been this a really a, long time. This is a podcast that covers uh, all 52 episodes of Whoa the Indian television adaptation from 1998 of Stephen King's It. Wait, what now? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this I shifted, is the thing that we're doing now. I shifted gears on us. We're doing this is a totally new podcast. We're starting with episode one of Whoa. I mean, like, I haven't watched it, so is that going to impact the quality of the recording? The only way to watch it is to get a, a membership to some obscure Indian streaming service, and I don't think I'm ready to take that leap yet. Have you, you haven't done this yet, then? This not is not a yet. podcast no, project is... you're embarking on. No. I'm just, I'm currently okay. fascinated by the 52 episode television adaptation of Stephen King's It, done in India, made by people who had never read the novel, but one of them tried to, but got bored halfway through, according to the. It's a really, a real Yodorovsky's Dune situation. A, yes. We have our imagine Yodorovsky's Dune, except it's made on the cheap in India. I'd be okay with it. And it actually exists, like, as a property that you, in theory, can look at. You, in theory, can look at it, yes. But that is not in what we're discussing. Can. No, no. I think. I mean, it really came up to empty for a second there on what we are discussing. Uh, I mean, the, the important thing is it's a podcast called Pizza Toast. Mm-hmm. It's occasionally about the Babysitter's Club. It's usually about the Babysitter's Club mm-hmm. and adaptations thereof. Often the Netflix series, sometimes the HBO series, even more occasionally the uh, film adaptation. We also just talk about things that are for girls. Yeah. Things that are so strictly we're doing for girls. Uh, Yes. Uh, my name's Christy. What's your name? My name's Phil. Awesome. Great. Now that we know each other again, we can talk about a thing. Uh, in, in Babysitter's Club news, I do want to point out that uh, over the yes. holidays... Uh, we got our hands on the, or Alana got her hands on the Babysitter's Club mystery board game, which we played as a family. She told me and I was really jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was feeling. Uh, I played a lot of monikers and a lot of unstable unicorns over Christmas, but those have nothing to do with the Babysitter's Club. What's funny about the Babysitter's Club mystery board game is there's no mystery to solve because you create the mystery... The first thing you do is everyone creates the mystery together. And the plot is you have to babysit to earn money, to have meetings, to pay dues, to take turns guessing why they did what they like. You know who did it and with what and where. You have to guess why and with what qualities. And then at the end of the game, you all tell the story together of the mystery as if you're writing a novel together. And that's the best part of the game. Wow. Wow. That, that doesn't sound like a board game. No. What you're describing sounds nothing like a board game. It is. Imagine a creative writing class 
but you had to follow a secret map to get to the class. That's what it is. And then you get to the class and everyone gets a writing prompt. That's the game. <laughs> also, you have to babysit a lot. Oh, of course. Oh, uh, speaking of like the babysitters babysitting a lot, that being like the the bedrock of the series, one of my friends over the weekend complained to me that he's never understood the existence of the babysitters club because it feels like they should be solving mysteries or something, and otherwise that's just too mundane a premise. <laughs> I informed him immediately that they do solve mysteries, and there's an entire sub-series about it, but I was not even going to attempt to justify the existence because like it justifies itself. That's a weird premise. That's like saying, I can't imagine a TV series called Cheers because what's so exciting about going to a bar? <laughs> like, I can't imagine a TV series about a family because what's so interesting about being in a family? I mean, obviously, <laughs> if you look at anything that way, it's going to sound boring. I think he was just hoping that the Babysitter's Club was a like a, an opposite gender version of the Hardy Boys, but you can't or win a, them all. Equal gender version of Nancy Drew. Or, yeah, the, and the Bobsy twins. Could the have Bobsy twins. Even the, yeah. even the boxcar children. What are some other children's <laughs> novels that we're not discussing today? <laughs> I don't know. We could talk about the one that we are discussing, which I would also argue is not a children's novel in the strictest <laughs> sense. Not like all of the ones we just listed. Uh, today we're talking about The Princess Diaries, but we're not... Talking about the Princess Diaries broadly because it is a behemoth of a series. Uh, right. We're talking about the very first book in the Meg Cabot series, The Princess Diaries, which we'll talk about the movie later. Yes. But this is the loosest possible source material for that movie because it is nothing like it. Not yeah. really. I have not seen the movie yet. I am, I am holding off on that one until... I read this novel and then we I got sick and you got a job and we ended up not recording and I'm like, oh, what's this book about again? <laughs> And I made the the grievous error of reading two more books in the series and starting the fourth one. And I can give you my quick review of that, which is two and three, about as good as one, four, major drop-off, not as interesting anymore. The, they uh, stick her in Genovia, and Genovia's boring. This book series, what do we know about Meg Cabot? Who's Meg Cabot? I adore Meg Cabot, okay? I've actually read a ton of Meg Cabot. Okay. Uh, she's an excellent uh, romance novelist, for the most part. Mm -hmm. She writes a lot of, like, what would pejoratively be called chiclet, but in the best way possible. It's very clever. A lot of her novels are epistolary, which I like a lot. Mm. She has also written books for adults, uh, a high number of them, and other series for... Uh, I mean, I would say middle grade and higher, because I suppose this could be a middle grade book, but it really reads like YA to me. Uh, it reads like middle grade that you have written with a certain attitude to make middle grade school readers feel like they're reading something a little bit naughty, like a little bit, oh, I'm going to tell my friends about Like It has just enough references to like sex to make you be like, oh my gosh, I'm reading something for older kids. But it is written at about the level of like a seventh grade reader. Yeah, so I've read this multiple times. Uh -huh. I've read the first three books I'm realizing multiple times <laughs> because they're the good ones. Uh, and the first book... So the, the, this is a book series about a princess. But she doesn't begin as a princess. She begins as a person who hates herself. <laughs> I would say this is a book series that is a almost generic teen novel over which mm -hmm. 
the flimsy idea that this girl is a princess has been laid because there's very little princess stuff in this. Like the, I mean, I've only seen the trailer for the movie, but it leads you to believe there's a lot of gowns and hairdos and princessy stuff. But then you read the book and it's mostly an unlikable girl living her life in high school, surrounded by fairly unlikable teenagers. Are there any likable young characters in this? I can think of one. The other princess. Yes, that's exactly who. Uh, she's the daughter of like a sheik of some kind. Her right. name is Tina Hakeem Baba, and she's great. Uh, the main character is Mia Thermopolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's 14 years old. She lives with her mother in a loft in lower Manhattan. Probably costs a fortune, but it sounds like her mother sells hack paintings i cannot figure out if her mother is a good artist or not yeah i feel like her mother is like a who's the character from uh the pants books whose mother was an artist but who would actually just go to the, the her loft and drink herself into oblivion oh leo uh yeah <laughs> are we talking about leo oh no you're talking about yeah. actually the uh the one in three willows who oh that's right that's mother. right that's right you're right yeah. three willows yes a sisterhood book Kind of. It was it was that setup to me that like my mom is a really talented artist, or like was a, like is a really talented artist, but mostly does commissions and stuff yeah. for like corporate businesses. She's already like I mean spoiler for the movie she's a more fun artist in the movie, uh, which is easier to do because yeah you could show you can the make art. it cooler. No, <laughs> so uh, the first problem Mia faces in this book is like very teen romance problem, which is her mother starts dating her algebra teacher. So this book ping pongs back and forth from like, oh my god, my it's from like <laughs> sweet like life of Zach and Cody esque problems. I'm saying that because I've never seen Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, but I assume <laughs> it's like this. Of, it's not far off. Oh my lord, my mom is dating my my teacher with a big nose or big nostrils help me to my father has testicular cancer <laughs> like in the same chapter it's and then like but then it's like tee testicles and you're like wait he has testicular so there's this like you really can't... weird push and pull of like this book is deadly serious but also it's not that big a deal there are a lot of weird jokes in this book and jokes that i don't <laughs> It's not just that I don't think they're funny. It's that I think they might be offensive, but I can't pin down exactly why. <laughs> In some cases, I can pin down exactly why. Uh, just jumping away to the end when, like, she has a a big personal crisis occur and that it doesn't get covered in the paper because Iran bombs Afghanistan. Yeah. And they throw that out there like it's very normal. Yeah. Uh, this okay. is, this is... But that's that's the kind of thing that happens. This came out in 2000. Yes. Pre-9-11. Yes. And I say that not as a joke, but as teenagers and preteens were excused at this point from knowing nothing about the geopolitical world. It's true. Post-9-11, I feel like kids got kind of a kick in the pants about what's happening in the world. But 2000, Mm -hmm. you were still just allowed to be like, I don't know, someone's bombing somewhere. And that's all a kid had to like had to care about if you were an American it's and true. white, presumably. <laughs> like, 
she points out the failures of American education at one point in one of the later stories by saying she's learning way more from her grandmother uh, about geopolitical <laughs> doings yeah. than she is from her classes, which is true. Uh, I think she learns more from her grandmother than she wants to believe she's learning. Yeah. But also uh, one of many monstrous adult characters in this series. So things we know about Mia, we know that she is blonde. But not yes. nicely blonde. She's not cool blonde. She just has ordinary blonde hair. That, ordinary blonde hair. And that she's incredibly flat-chested. We know uh, she's flat-chested many... because she mentioned it over 40 times in the novel. Is that how many? Because I, I think ask, I counted. How often does she talk about how... Yeah, and she uses a lot of different euphemisms for flat-chested. Yes. Which is great. Uh, it's not great. Uh, she talks about how she's 5'9". Mm-hmm. And that's not that tall, but she acts like it's the tallest height a woman can possibly be. And she talks about how big her feet are. Now, okay. I'm 5'8". <laughs> uh, I, uh, I have size 10 feet. I have never in my life been self-conscious about this. And this is the kind of thing where I'm like, oh, I didn't realize there was this whole other category of things that you can hate about yourself. <laughs> She also manages to be a vegetarian in a time... Well, she's still a vegetarian. She's a vegetarian. And this is in a time when that meant you're obnoxious. Yep. Like, this is 2000. So by identifying as a vegetarian, we know she's a little difficult. (laughs) Just a little. Yeah. It It was harder to be... Like, I mean, it is always true that it is easier to be a vegetarian or a vegan in like a big city, mm-hmm. like where she lives, than it is here. However, it is very expensive. And her mother is not a vegetarian. So no. she kind of, she doesn't quite force vegetarianism on her mother. But she doesn't not try to make people feel bad about it when they eat right. meat. <laughs> but pe- it's also one of those situations, though, where someone says, I'm vegetarian, and someone serves them a steak anyway. Because it's yes, 2000. It, it definitely is. And so people are just like, oh, get over it. Like, what? It's yeah. a weird time to be a vegetarian <laughs> in the United States. I do love uh, the frequency with her, which her grandmother is like, hey, if somebody at a state dinner serves you steak, you have to eat that steak. She's like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Even though that is true, she would have to do that. Right. There are a lot of things that her grandma points out that I'm not going to be able to do the French pronunciation of grandma. I'm sorry. It's grand-mère. It's just grand-mère. Grand-mère? She's grand-mère. Yeah. She is not that in uh, in the movie, as far as I can remember. But she's also not French. In I was going to say she's. she's just, I wouldn't think Julie she'd be Andrews. Why would you cast Julie she's Andrews and never play French? That'd be like casting Julie Andrews as a giant sea monster. <laughs> well, that has happened, Phil. Her greatest role. It's really good. Casting Julie Andrews as a giant sea monster, and not knowing she was going to be playing the giant sea monster. Was that, that, uh, just G, uh, If you haven't seen the movie Aquaman, it's one of my favorite superhero movies. It's a good G- movie. Julie Andrews plays a giant I, sea monster. My, my mouth fully dropped open when the sea monsters started talking because I did not know about that. It was, a, it was a really fun surprise for me. That's also one of those movies that I watched in like two sittings. I was like, this is too much for me. It's a lot of movies. Uh, but we'll be it's discussing so Aquaman more when we discuss the movie of the Princess Diaries. <laughs> More comparing and contrasting. Yeah. Uh, so, we, yeah, we know Mia's flat-chested. We know she's not cool. Uh, she's also kind of sounds like somebody who slips through the cracks for the most part. Yeah, she as much as you can slip through the cracks uh, yeah. at what is presumably a very expensive private school. It sounds awful. Um, there's one 
popular girl who makes fun of her, mm-hmm. uh, Lana Weinberger, yep. who sounds like she's such a standard issue bully to the point where she's pretty boring. Um, yeah. She's just a mean girl. Lana, yes, she's a mean girl. And, and in the film portrayed uh, exquisitely by Mandy Moore. And here uh, she is dating Josh Richter, the man of Mia's dreams. Uh, it doesn't seem like Mia's had a crush on this guy for very long. Which makes Just sense. Just that she is, yeah, he is, his locker is next to hers, which, okay, by the way, why would his locker be next to hers? He's a, he's a senior and she's a freshman. Like, none of this makes sense. Maybe someone died. And Could be. Mia got that locker. I don't know how it works. I don't know <laughs> how they assign exactly. lockers at this school. And Josh, one thing <laughs> I do like exactly about, I like about Josh is that they portray him, they, Meg, Meg Cabot portrays him as, just kind of a non-entity he's not a mm-hmm. bully he doesn't seem really that into lana either he's just kind of there no. and he reminds like and i think that's wise because when you finally get some insight into his personality at the end of the book basically uh the, the back end of the book uh it actually comes as a bit of a shock because up yeah. until this point he's fairly nondescript kind yeah. of polite just a just a vague handsome guy yeah, just, like, we'll say hi to her in public, not engage in conversation or anything. But, yeah. like, doesn't, yeah, he doesn't seem particularly mean. He's a jock, hangs yeah. out with all the jocks. But yeah. uh, Mia hangs out mostly with her horrible best friend, uh, <laughs> Lily Moskowitz, who has an older brother that Mia has a crush on and is in denial about throughout the first book. Uh, right. Uh, so his name li- is Michael. Yeah, Moskowitz. Michael Moskowitz, who who is a is is even more of a loser than Mia, because he's oh, because Mia is also a terrible student. She makes terrible grades. Uh, so not She's only really is that she student, particularly algebra, yeah, yeah, she has nothing going for her. Michael is like a super genius. Uh, he has no friends, no social life, but he's ripped. He looks great with his shirt off. He is that <laughs> kind of nerd. He runs a zine, which is a very uh, year 2000 yeah. <laughs> uh, person thing to do. Uh, he, uh, You eventually, at the end of the book, find out that he is a musical genius. In mm-hmm. your edition, uh, Puff Daddy uh, is who he aspires to be. No, it's it, he will be the next Puff Daddy. In my version, it said he'll be the next Kanye West. <laughs> yep, they updated one thing, apparently, in your edition. It's the only thing they updated. There are zero other uh, like pop cultural updates that I could find. And as you but... said, uh, being really into Kanye West in the year 2000 would have been a, a choice. <laughs> It would have been so early. It would have been very like when he was just a producer. That's right. when he, that's when your uh, your fandom truly took root. Yeah, uh, they could have just updated it to Diddy. I wish they had. Uh, <laughs> so, not a, like in this in the early going in this book. There's a. I mean, it, it jumps to the princess stuff really quickly. Like, kind of yeah. dives in. You have which to. I like. The cover is yeah. a tiara, and it's called the Princess Diaries. Oh yeah, and the book's written as if it's a diary. Uh, yes, which uh, big fan always always liked a book like this. Did not matter what, how high the quality was, as long as it was written like a diary. I was fully on board. Yeah. Uh, so her father is. She doesn't know this at the start of the story, but her father is a prince, the prince of Genovia. Um, mm-hmm. He and her mother were never married. He basically just got her mother pregnant and. 
split town, it seems. And but he supports her. <laughs> she just thinks that he's really high up in Genovia. What is Genovia? Yeah. It's Monaco. It's just Monaco. Yeah. Genovia is Monaco and I don't she doesn't go out of her way to cover that in any way. Uh Monaco of of the many casinos and the like these get mentioned a lot later in the series yeah um yeah uh she doesn't know anything about genovia slash monaco minus okay my dad is high up there and sometimes i visit there and that's it uh that's all basically like monaco genovia is a tax shelter for rich people and it sounds like the only people who live there are rich people and Mm -hmm. you live there so that you don't have to pay taxes on anything because it's a non it's a non-tax country so you go there to hide your money and to be rich and that has a royal family and that is the most being a member of a royal family should not exist in the in the 21st century no this is most royal families are just rich and useless, and that is what this is, except they kind of run the country, but there's not much country to run, it being a tax shelter. Yeah. And <laughs> we are supposed to be, I guess, in awe of this, but it's mostly yeah. just, you're just a member of a criminal, a crime syndicate at this point. Like, you're just a <laughs> member of a mafia family. Like, it could have just been she finds out her father is a Don, and you'd be, it'd be basically the same story. Now you have to learn to comport yourself properly. And I would want to read that more. <laughs> and she finds this out, and she discovers that she's going to, initially, she's going to have to move to Genovia, leave all of her friends, be the, be the princess, because she finds out her dad's actually the prince. And uh, take princess lessons from her grandmother, which basically amounts to her being belittled by her grandmother until her grandmother starts feeling territorial and decides to throw her a bone. And that's pretty much what happens to her. That's the arc. That's the arc of the story. Uh, Everything ends up happily. Don't worry. Uh, All of these minor quibbles get settled over the course of the book. Not that her, like up and leaving New York for Genovia would really be that minor, especially for like a 14 year old who is already very insecure. So what to say about this book? There's really not that much going on for most of it. The thing that infuriates me the most about this book is the fact (laughs) that it is not the fault of the book. It's the fault of the characters, Mm -hmm. which is that Genovia is a useless country. And Mm -hmm. because they are royal family, royalty, they get to act like that actually means something. Uh, mm-hmm. So the paparazzi follow her around once they find out she's a princess. The, her grandmother acts as if she is the Queen of England and not a useless tax shelter. This her is a grandmother country... is a nightmare person. Yeah, This is a country that shouldn't mean anything. Being the mm-hmm. princess of Genovia is about as meaningful as being any social media star in the, in <laughs> the modern day. And... <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, just because they are royalty, they get to treat each other like garbage and treat the children like garbage. And that's what infuriates me. Because as much as I don't like Mia as a character, I also don't like stories in which a uh, a, a character's uh, uh, independence is taken away from them for stupid reasons. And mm-hmm. and that is one of these books. They're like, we got you don't you cannot have a normal childhood now. And I'm like, no, she could because this is a meaningless royal title. In order to take away her autonomy, uh, they say they're going to ship her off to Genovia. Uh, She fights very hard against this in what apparently is a rare move of, like, asserting herself. And 
is able to convince them that she's at least going to stay through the next few years. Like, she could finish out high school here. Right. Yeah. She signs a contract with her father. She is constantly bargaining with her father. Like, yeah. a, their relationship is, like, based on a barter system, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. He is a man yeah. who clearly does not care about her as a person. No, not at all. Yeah. He's a real jerk. Uh, one of the, like... Okay, so we've decided, like, there are three good characters in the series. Like, three purely good, drawn-out characters. It's Tina, it's her mother, it's the algebra teacher. But even Um, the mother doesn't fight for her a lot. The mother isn't great at the parenting part. (laughs) She's just a nice person. Yeah, she seems like a cool mom. And I'm sure everyone that her daughter hangs out with loves her. And obviously Mia loves her a lot. But Mia has to do a lot of the caretaking around the house. So, no. like, the things that make Mia unlikable uh, all feel very pushed on her as opposed to, like, natural parts of her personality. Yeah. Except the whole flat-chested thing. I find her unlikable because she is a fairly accurate portrayal of a girl with a lot of self like issues like a teenage yeah. girl who's like going through stuff which is just not a person i want to spend time with no and it's who you get to spend time with for yeah. I, which is ironic pages. considering the podcast we're currently doing which is all about spending time with teenage girls <laughs> but so many of those teenage girls are like either wise beyond their years or just like endlessly charming or running a babysitting club uh, Mia doesn't get to be any of those things. It is kind like, of like if Mallory had her own series. It's a little bit like if Mallory had her own series. Imagine if Mallory imagine had her own series. Mallory were secretly a princess. And a psychotic best friend. Yeah, let's talk about Lily for mm-hmm. a second. Lily is, she's very wealthy. She's the daughter of psychiatrists. She looks like a pug. We're told yep. this a lot. She's a squished in face. And she's short and bullish. Uh, she's really mean to Mia all the time. And she yep. has a public access show called Lily Tells It Like It Is. And every, th- every premise they describe for this show is like more insufferable than the previous one. Now, for those of you who don't know what public access is, uh, oh, it was, yeah, it was good YouTube, but on TV. Yeah. Um, in my school, there was a legendary show made by two students called Hot Tracks. Mm-hmm. Where two men talked about songs that they liked, and play air guitar to them. <laughs> it's really good. I'll, I'm going to send you a YouTube link later, actually. But uh, there were a few things like that. Uh, it, like there was always at least one kid in every high school who had a public access show, right? I mean, that was true for mine. Yeah, and New York public access is like a a major thing. Like New York public yeah. access shows, like kind of went all over the country at times. We had there was a show from I think. Brooklyn, I'm not sure. That got shown on our new in Santa Fe when I w- lived there. Got shown on the public access channel there called Cooking Wit the Hook. And it was a guy in his apartment in in I guess I think Brooklyn, uh who was like, "It's the hook and we're going to show you how to cook XYZ." And it was all shot in real time. Uh and he would make a meal in like 30 minutes. And show you in real time how to do it. But he would fill his apartment with as many of his friends as he could. So there'd be like 30 people crammed into this apartment. He'd be like, it's time for. And they'd all go cooking, wit, duh, hook. And then he'd make the food. And then he'd like serve it out to all of his friends. And they'd be like, mm, mm, mm. And we used to watch cooking with the hook. Good show. I just want to point out how much better that sounds than Lily tells me. <laughs> 
Lily's show is political, mm-hmm. uh, social social messaging. Something we should applaud for a child her age. Yeah, but it's I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, is this the in this book? Does she, no, I think it's in the second book that she boycotts a deli. No, that's right? this book. Or, that's, that's this book. That's this okay. book where Lily has a strange idea of what racism is. This was really a... okay. A thing I was wondering while I was reading this book is whether we're supposed to like Lily or not. I think as children, us the readers, yes, us, <laughs> we're supposed to be fascinated <laughs> by this eccentric personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all supposed to wish we were Lily. And, like, that, like, just, I don't care. Like, she's, like, ooh, this sort of aspirational character who's connected to the pulse of the of, of the of the city. She doesn't care if she's popular or not. Like, but as adults, we're, like, that's a bad, that's an insufferable kid. Uh, so she's the kind of kid that, like, I, I mean, this is true of a number of the characters in the series. She's the kid that my parents would not want me to hang out with. She has so much money. Like, uh, her parents are bankrolling both the public access show and Michael's zine. It's called crackhead. I don't know why it's called crackhead. This is not a kid who does drugs of any kind. Because it's an extreme thing to call your zine. Because it's hilarious. (laughs) Michael's kind of a weird character. Uh, It's very clear that he has a thing for Mia. Mm -hmm. It becomes clear pretty quickly. She is attracted to him because this book's like a little horny around the edges, but she doesn't know if she wants to like French kiss him or anything like that. She just likes the idea of him. She likes the idea of him. Uh, He's actually a somewhat likable character just because I get it. He's an older brother. It's weird that he's attracted to Mia, I think, because she's Mm -hmm. younger than him and also visually younger, like visibly yeah. She's not mature, and he's how old is he? He's supposed to be a. Junior? He's seventeen, I think. So a yeah, junior? or he's a senior. A he's, senior. A senior. he's a senior. So yeah, so he's a senior. She's a scrawny freshman. I just, to me, I'm like, I don't know, man. It's it's the kind of thing where it's like, with an older brother of a of a best friend, you'd think the time he develops a crush on the girl is like when she looks like a teenager rather right. than somebody who's like just getting through puberty. Like it makes a lot of sense in the movie when uh, Jason Schwartzman's little brother who plays Michael uh, falls in love with Anne Hathaway because right. Anne Hathaway looks like an adult by the end of that movie. Because Anne but Hathaway is Anne Hathaway. She is a, she's Anne Hathaway. She's beautiful the entire time, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot yeah. next week. Uh. <laughs> Uh, Lily, uh, there's also a lot of sexual predators in this book. Like, more than I was she expecting. She has a stalker who's a foot fetish guy. Mm-hmm. Who calls into okay. her public access show and is like, show me your feet. So she'll, like, show her feet on the show just to tease him. And they're like, this guy could kill you. He could find you and kill you. And she's like, teehee, my feet. And I'm like, that's upsetting. There's also a guy who pretends to be blind so he can help women cross the street and then grope them. And yes. that's uh, that's presented as something pretty funny to have in your neighborhood. It's, it's especially funny when Mia like allows her grandmother to be sexually assaulted by mm-hmm. this man at the end of the book. And it's presented as like, oh, she got her grandma good. <laughs> and you're like, no, Mia, no, <laughs> that's not good. I keep thinking we should talk about the arc of the book, but the arc is basically 
Mia finds out she's supposed to be a princess. Mia takes princess lessons with her grandmother. Uh, Mia's grandmother leaks to the press that she is a royal. She becomes very uh, popular in school. Uh, everyone is suddenly paying attention to her. The popular boy asks her to the dance. He humiliates her by uh, trying to kiss her. Um, and then the bombing... In front of the paparazzi. <laughs> Yes, it, yeah, uh, he kisses her. It's gross and bad. Uh, she tells him off. She has a wonderful night with Michael, because of course she does. And uh, Afghanistan gets bombed, so she is not found. Like, like that that humiliating story does not appear in the paper. Right. And, uh, the end. And she gets <laughs> in a fight. With, how this she gets goes. in a fight with her best friend, Lily. Because, Li- okay, so Lily wants to do an episode of her show about the local, is it a Chinese uh yeah it's a chinese owned bodega called hose deli right and she finds out that the owners of hose are giving a discount a five percent discount to all their asian customers there was literally an episode of kim's convenience about this (laughs) told from the perspective of course of the bodega owners who are like of course we do this it's what we do like it's how we show solidarity with like our community uh Lily finds out about this, decides that's racism, and is going to do an expose. But first, she calls for a boycott of hoes because they're racist. And I'm like, that's a bad look, Lily. That's a that's not a good look. But the book presents it as like she's annoying, but hey, she's got a point. It's really bad. Uh, what I love is that the boycott backfires, and more of the Asian students start going right, of to because they find out there's a discount. It's so funny, too, because, like, I get discounts at specific bodegas because I've been a regular at a few. <laughs> yeah. So just the thought that anyone would be bothered that bodegas have variable pricing depending on who you are is comical to me. Right. Of if course seen, they if do. You've seen That's what they are. If you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming, you know how bodegas work. <laughs> I mean, I do love that Spider-Man Homecoming is constantly, like, screaming at you, we're filming in New York. <laughs> That's hey, a great thing about that He pets movie. the cat. He mouths off to the owner. The owner raises the prices on him. That's that's how it's going to work. <laughs> One of my favorite institutions in New York is a very, very old dive bar called Kelly's. And literally when they hand you your first drink of the night, they say, tonight it's $7. So I just, uh, this is just a way of life for me. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, this is, this portrayal of New York is really strange to me. Like. She makes it seem more carnival-like than it is. <laughs> is Meg Cabot from New York? Is she a New Yorker? She is, at least has to have spent time here because she does have a really good handle on the geography. Like, oh, she's from Bloomington, but she went to school in, at New York University. No. Yes. yes. Yeah. No, she went to school in Indiana and then she moved to New York. Okay. Okay. I was going to say NYU would also make sense because a lot of the things take place around NYU, but also there's a lot of stuff going on in Midtown. She hangs out at the plaza a lot. Oh, she uh, Mia has like a cool bodyguard. Forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Is he cool? I like Lars. I like Lars a lot. I like that he becomes friends with Wahim, who oh, is right. Tina's bodyguard. So when... Okay, Lily gets mad at her for not telling her about the princess thing sooner and not being a more active supporter of the hose deli boycott. Right. She's angry about both those things, stops talking to Mia entirely. Uh, Mia is left all alone because, yeah, people think it's cool that she's a princess, 
but also she is isolated because she just doesn't really have friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is before mm-hmm. the princess thing really blows up. Right. And she starts having lunch with Tina Hakimbaba, who is, by the way, chubby. Um, I don't know if you knew that. She's chubby. <laughs> this is a chubby girl. Yeah. She's pretty. But she's also chubby. This is you when you were reading this observed that this book has a lot of body issues, and oh boy, does that not change over the course of the series? Yeah, Tina is is uh, her father, as you said, is like an oil magnate. Um, mm-hmm. So she, I, I keep thinking of her as a princess. She is essentially a princess because she's a member of yeah. uh, like uh, Middle Eastern oil royalty. Uh, exactly and uh no one hangs out with her because she is a chubby princess uh chubby princess reads a lot of romance novels and i do think this is one of this is a comedic ace in the hole for uh meg Cavett. the descriptions of these romance novels are all is pitch funny. perfect yeah yeah uh there's a part where it is pointed out that josh richter waits a day or two after uh, after breaking up with Lana in order to ask out Mia and uh, Tina calls out that, Hey, usually they wait at least a week in my books. It's very yeah. funny. Uh, she's a very likable character. She's nice. She's a nice kid. Uh, she seems pretty down to earth considering her situation. Uh, she doesn't have any friends. So she spends a lot of time reading and just hanging out, playing video games, like just being a, being more of a teenager than any of the other teenagers in this book seem to be. Yeah. She has a lot of uh, siblings, like a lot of younger siblings. And Mia has a blast whenever she's at her house because she gets to like go play with all the little kids. And Tina sounds like a great sister. Her mother is uh, kind of in similar situations to Mia, like pushed into similar situations, like has to go visit with dignitaries and that sort of thing. And talks to Mia about that, like is on her level, which is really nice. Like everything about this family is good. Uh, and so, of course, I was like, oh, so I guess maybe she's not going to be friends with Lily anymore, and she's finally found, like, a decent friend, like, a good friend, like, someone she trusts and can talk. No, she, of course, makes up with Lily at the end and just goes back to being her best friend. Uh, I assume Tina stays throughout the series? Yeah, yeah, Tina is still one of her best friends. Uh, Tina is almost on Lily's level. Uh, She tells Tina a lot more in the second and third books than she does Lily, especially about... I mean, Lily's taste in men is questionable at best. She's a she's dating a violinist named Boris Polkowski, right. who they shut in a closet a lot in their gifted and talented class. Which I, I mean, another good gag. There are a few there are a few good bits in here that uh, that I do think are quite funny. Uh, I like this uh, again. This high school feels a bit funhousey. <laughs> yeah, nice. I mean, it's a it's a private school. Uh, for for rich kids who are going to succeed in life no matter how well they do in class. So, I mean, yeah, there's probably a lot of shenanigans going on because it doesn't matter what their grades are. They're going to an Ivy League school and they're going to inherit their family's business. That's just, that's mm-hmm. who these kids are. Uh, I want to oh, point out that, that Lily and Michael are also our Jewish characters. And mm-hmm. this is actually mentioned, and uh, and uh, isn't I won't say it's a plot point, but they are. It isn't just casually tossed off. Like there are there are indicators throughout that these kids are 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 in a Jewish a Jewish household. It is a shame that Lily is not more likable. 
Especially whenever they talk about her extended family, that is when you're reminded. Yeah. There's a lot more uh, a lot more Yiddish terms used around right. those times. So it's already a more... Uh, this The book in the first book is already more culturally diverse than the Babysitter's Club books were in the first 50 books. So... This is true. Uh, in part, let's do the setting. But I think right. there's, there's also more... Uh, yeah, it's a it's an authentic New York. Um, Albert Einstein fe- feels like the the private schools I've had described to me. With all That's the name of the private school, by the way. It's Albert Einstein. Oh yeah, it's Albert Einstein. It's like Albert Einstein School for Boys, that and it became right. <laughs> it became co-ed <laughs> at some point down the line. They have to wear uniforms. Uh, oh, I wanted to wear a uniform so badly when I was in high school. Wow. I'm a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that, like, I don't know why that specifically makes me weird, but it definitely does. I remember it's when I was a kid, strange. a few schools in Houston switched over, like public schools switched over to uniforms mm-hmm. because they were, because they, there was a lot of busing going on. So they wanted the kids from the lower income areas to not feel so like in competition right. with the kids in the, like the, in the richer areas. So they're like, everyone's just going to wear the same uniform. And all that happened was the rich kids bought the expensive versions of the uniform. And it was very clear who was wearing polyester and who was wearing, you know, fine clothing. They looked essentially the same, but different companies yeah. make them and you just buy them more expensive. So that became the status symbol. And they were just like, oh, forget it. Like kids are just terrible. Uh, True. I do want to, I do want to mention that her mother is dating her algebra teacher and we get a nice progression. I do like this. Mr. Gianni mm-hmm. goes from being, or Giannini goes from being, my mom is dating my algebra teacher to a very human character by the end of the book. And you're like, Oh wait, no, this is, a, this guy's a good guy. He's, he's a very nice, like a very good guy to have on your side. Like he actually, he's her best parent. Him. By yeah. the way, he is uh, he is far and away her best parent. He is the most invested in her success, in her happiness, mm-hmm. in protecting her to some extent. Like, does not want her to go out with Josh Richter because he is like he knows about the school. Yeah, he knows he's good and and who's a little gross as Josh Richter turns out to be. Yeah, uh, it's great. Uh, I really like him. He does. Be- he becomes more or like I guess the combined. Uh, Mia's mother and this guy story becomes more interesting in the later books. Uh, she has a she has a baby. Uh, they get married. He moves in with them. We find out he has a foosball table, which is pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's great. I like him a lot. Uh, there's a is it in this book that she sees him in his underwear? Yes. Okay, I really like the way he diffuses the tension by bringing up what all of the teachers must wear to bed. Uh, It's it's funny because her mother is clearly sleeping with Mr. Giannini, and (laughs) Mia does her best to not acknowledge the fact. Like, she comes up with all these internal excuses for why she keeps running into him in the mornings in her house. (laughs) It is funny, though. At my school, in my high school, if you were in any way related to a student, if you were a teacher and you were anywhere related to a student, even in the most intangible way, that student was not in your class. Uh, you mm-hmm. were that's and if anything happened to make that student be part of your life more than the parent student teacher relationship, that student was moved out of your class ASAP. And to the extent that uh, this things were kept so separately that two teachers at our school could not be married. 
uh, if you got married to another teacher's school, one teacher transferred to another school. That's how much they tried to keep everything separated. So it's weird to me that she would still be in Mr. Giannini's class at this point. Logically, it would not be the case. Is he the only <laughs> algebra teacher? I mean, it's private school, maybe. I guess it is a private school. It's not a public school, so they can do whatever they want. Maybe the rules have changed slightly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird because there's not really that much to say about this book, aside from like the tone is so radically different to me from basically anything else we've read. I mean, obviously the 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 pants girls are girls. They're written yeah. for older like older kids than the babysitters are. Uh, but they don't have this cynicism, I don't think. Yeah, this book was written to be a, a breezy book uh, mm -hmm. that didn't like make you think too hard. And but you're right, it does have this. It's trying to it, to me, it has that late 90s teen thing. It's trying to be, you know, mm -hmm. that, that sort of Buffy-esque uh, yes. post Kevin Smith. Like let's let's talk like in a lot of like pop culture references and and we're all sarcastic and we're like to me it has that feel it feels like a book written in two thousand. Uh, mm -hmm. It also and I think I mentioned this to you when we first started doing this, which was it dovetails completely with the with the beginning of princess culture in American popular culture, yeah. which yeah. cannot be a coincidence. I don't think so. I think this ushers in a trend in a major way. And maybe it's not in, it doesn't rest on it entirely, but it's definitely a huge part of it. Yeah. Especially as soon as the movie comes out and you get the visual of Anne Hathaway as princess. Right. Because uh, here we get one gown, we get a, we get a prom gown. But other than that, all the only thing we get is like the slight transformation of Mia having a better color of blonde hair and wearing some makeup sometimes. But most importantly, you have a pink book with a crown on the front or a, a <laughs> it does have a crown on the, on the cover. And it's called The Princess Diaries. Uh, again, for those of you who are younger and may not remember this or know this, uh, 2000 was the beginning of Disney princesses, uh, mm -hmm. which did not exist before then. Like literally did not exist. The concept of Disney princesses no wasn't a thing disney made it a brand right. uh intentionally made it a brand to because girls were wearing homemade princess gowns to disney on ice and the disney the head of disney marketing or whatever's kid was like this is awesome and he was like there is zero reason we to not be capitalizing on this and that's when they created the disney princess brand and that kind of kick-started the notion of a princess as a, a as a marketing tool and mm -hmm. and now it's just massive like yeah. it's a, a, there are entire uh stores or like i guess sub stores in disney world like i think in disney springs that are dedicated to turning you into a princess they have the same mm -hmm. thing on the cruise line uh obviously if you walk into a disney store a lot of what you see are princess dresses and then also collections of the princesses in toy form it's kind of wild. It's a lot. And it, <laughs> it's a it's, lot to take in. It's so weird that before 2000, that wasn't a thing. That didn't no. exist. Uh, no. No one cared. Or, you know, people cared, but Disney didn't care. And the idea of marketing no. to girls, little girls, was seen as, like, 
a money loss. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, that's a foreign. It was a foreign concept at that point. Mm-hmm. It's just not done. And then uh, th- I would say like the Disney princesses, Princess Diaries, and there's a few. I can't think. There's a few other things that came out around this time that were like. And then you started getting like Ella Enchanted. You st- you got the movie Ever After. Like all these pop culture things that were just like hey princesses are kind of cool and you could slap (laughs) pink and a tiara on anything and you had a major a major seller on your hands it's weird because like ever after was slightly before this but that was a movie that i heard about more and more years after it came out Mm -hmm. and and i don't think its popularity would have ever risen without this kind of princess movement uh i don't know that this was meg cabot's intent no. I believe I yeah. believe that it was not. It's basically a helpful framework to give Mia something interesting to do mm-hmm. or something else interesting to do while she's going through the very uh, standard trials and tribulations of being yeah. a freshman. Uh, there's some cute assignments that her grandma makes her do, like writes a list of the 10, uh, ten women she admires. Uh, she and Lily will make lists every once in a while. Uh, hot boys, that sort of thing. You know, just the, the, the usual uh, I really like this book. I don't love the characters, mm-hmm. but I think the the tone is so is still so unique, and I find it, I find it so digestible. Like I could read it three times in a row and enjoy it all three of those times. <laughs> there is, I mean, there's a reason I was immediately like, I think I have to re reactivate my New York Public Library card and get books two through four for this coming weekend. <laughs> so I do think I. Yeah. Oh, no. It's good. I like it. I'm a fan. The thing that I I wanted to bring up was that each of the kids in the book are based on people that Meg Cabot actually knew. And that Mm. the Lily in the story was a challenging friend to grow up with. Uh, But the Lily in the story has read the books and does not know that Lily is based on her, which I thought sounded (laughs) like a perfectly Lily thing to happen. That is really funny, honestly. Like, <laughs> I <laughs> love that. <laughs> love yeah. that you wouldn't. Well, because we uh, we're not going to talk about the later books. I will mention there is a point in the fourth book when a movie adaptation of Mia's life comes out, mm-hmm. and Lily is very insulted by the portrayal of her in it and insists that she was a very, like, an incredibly supportive friend when Mia was first uh, revealed to be a princess, which, of course, is the opposite of what is true. And Mia kind of placates her and he's like, oh, that's that's too bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but Mia, at this point in the series, like, understands the flaws of Lily in a in a major way. Like, Mia is also hyper-focused on Michael at this point because they start dating at the end of the third book. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. I'm wondering stuff. now, is there anyone I know that if I wrote them in a story, they wouldn't realize it was them? <laughs> yes. Yes. Without question. <laughs> I mean, probably me. If you wrote me into a story, <laughs> I'd be like... I would never think that any... I have been written into one novel uh, by a friend of mine who I grew up with, well, we went to school together. And his, I think his first published novel, one of his first published novels, he's written a ton of novels at this point, uh, is about two characters, one of whom is named Phil, who was explicitly based on me in, in the original draft. Uh, and uh, it's still based on me. Uh, 
So I know out there there I don't, but I only know that because he told me, and the character is named Phil. Um, otherwise, no, I would not. I would not pick up on it because I wouldn't think anyone would do that. <laughs> Unless the character was like explicitly described as completely nondescript with glasses. I think I do think like it's probably some insight into like what how Meg Cabot views her own both her high school experience and what she was like as a teenager because Mia is very much a self-insert character oh, yeah. like any teen girl with any kind of insecurity would read this and be like it's me I'm that girl yeah and it's a it, she's a better it's like a better Bella Swan in a lot of ways <laughs> to me. And I do mean that as a compliment. Uh, I don't know. It, this is, it, it's, it, it is a book, like, I do, I agree that this is a book that helped push a trend that is undying and like a, a behemoth. I've used the word behemoth twice during mm-hmm. this, which is important. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, that is a, a trend that, that has not died, that shows no sign of stopping. Like, if anything, Frozen kicked it back up and oh, it's yeah. in higher gear than it was initially. Um, but, like, as a book, it's kind of a curiosity just because it is so different from what princess culture is. It, and that's why I think it stands out as, as being at the beginning of this. Like... Right. I think a lot of people picked it up because it had a princess on the cover. And then you read it and you're like, she doesn't even do any princess stuff in this. I cannot emphasize enough that the whole stuff with her grandmare is a minor part of this book. I mean, it comes into play, but like it's mostly about high school and her friends and this Mm -hmm. like weird little family. I started this book and then I threw it against the wall. I was like, I cannot, I cannot make myself read this. I was so annoyed by it. I walked away from it. I picked it back up and I read it in like two sittings. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, I get this book now. It took me a second. I think because I'm so used to the Babysitter's Club books where the kids are all, if they're annoying, they're still very sympathetic and uh, charming in their own way. Uh, Or the pants books where the girls can be very annoying, but also they're so in-depthly written that that's just part of their complexity. I hadn't read something this kind of fluffy and it took me a while to get into that headspace but at the end of the day as much as the book annoyed me it's an enjoyable read that's the thing like what i mean when i say is it's very digestible is like it's just fun to go through it like it's Mm -hmm. just it's just a very fun book and it doesn't have to be any more than that like it's it's not asking for you to engage with it intellectually and it's not even really asking you to love mia because even when i read this when i was a teenager it wasn't like oh this character is so great like it's just she's she's there she's there to be a, a vessel for your dreams and your dreams are to be a princess of uh worthless uh, uh, like a tax shelter yeah uh, yeah I, I will say that uh, she wrote 10 books in the series and the last book it does a eight-year time jump and is written for adults and that's the only reason i want to finish the whole series i want to yep, yeah no i, I uh, just want to get trying, to that time jump i've been trying to figure out how many i have to read in order to justify that because there is a major drop off in four after i think the tension is established in at the end of one where you want her to date Michael. Yeah. Especially if you are like a YA reader like I am. And uh, she does not do that for a little bit. And then once she does, it's like, well, 
I guess the next tension is whether or not they get married, and that's going to be a while. Because I know for a fact that they end up old. breaking up and getting back together. I know that happens. So that's probably a few books. <laughs> I'm unsurprised by this development. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good. I mean, fun book. Fun book. If not, like, qualified good. Absolutely fun. Uh, and, and, and like the Dictionary of the Khazars, you get to decide which version of the book you read. Do you read the Puff Daddy version? Or the Conway Kanye West version. <laughs> There's only one difference, but it makes the whole story. It reframes the entire story in your <laughs> it's mind. Really changed things for me. So uh, next week we're going to talk about the movie. Mm-hmm. Which I'm looking forward uh, the to the movie. The movie is extremely sanitized, but Julie Andrews is in it, and yeah. Heather Heather Marzo. Like we'll have fun with it. Yeah, it, and we. I cannot that. emphasize enough how much sex gets talked about in this book. Like, oh, so much. I, I mean, I didn't want to talk about it too too in depth, but like one of the games they play is called End of the World, and it is where they're uh, you're presented with two options of who you would copulate with. Yes. If the world were to end and everyone but you and these two other people were dead, yep. uh, I think that there's a choice between uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Mia at one mm-hmm. point for Michael. Yeah. Normal. That's a normal, normal choice. Book. <laughs> he picks Buffy. Yeah, of course he is. He's not going to say Mia in front of her. Plus, it'd be weird. She's thirteen years old. It's late. It gets brought up later that she picked Josh Richter over him, and she is not brave enough yet to say, "I couldn't say that I wanted to have sex with you in front of your sister." Right. And he's it's not weird enough fun. to say, "I choose to have sex with this child. I'm seventeen <laughs> years old." So next okay. time, movie. so on that note, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the movie next week. Uh, uh, we're on Twitter at Pizza Toast Pod. Phil's on Twitter at P Corey Gonzalez. I'm on Twitter at Christy Admiral. Our Gmail is Pizza Toast Pod. I haven't updated the Twitter in a really long time just because I haven't thought about yeah. What are we doing? Twitter broadly, but also not this Twitter specifically. So I'll do that. I'll change our location to Genovia, however temporarily. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and uh, I I guess. Say goodbye to your tiara? Say goodbye to your tiara. (laughs) A plus.